Hello and welcome to the Call Yourself a Fan podcast. My name is Mike and I'll be talking to real football fans about their club. Football is not always trophies and glory. 99% of it is misery, frustration and of course some good laughs along the way. We'll cover embarrassing mascots, disgusting pies, all leading up to that dreaded worst 11 and a little bit of trivia in between. Founded in 1905, this West London club are among one of England's most successful teams, having won over 30 competitive honours, including six league titles and six European trophies. They were a force to be reckoned with during the 50s, 60s and early 70s, before having a period of decline and financial difficulty, where they were nearly relegated to the third division in the early 1980s, and were acquired by Astute's chairman, Ken Bates, for only £1 in 1982. The club's most successful period has been in the last 20 years, after Bates sold them for £140 million to Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich in 2003. This also saw the emergence of one of the most globally recognised managers, Jose Mourinho. It is, of course, Chelsea Football Club. Joining me today is a University of Nottingham graduate in management studies. This mathematical mind achieved an A star in his maths A level. He's now a commercial development manager, but outside of work and calculus, and most importantly, he's a Chelsea supporter. Welcome, Don Bailey, to the show. Cheers, mate. I thought that maths A level was never going to come up again in my life, but just keeps coming back, keeps coming back. Still got it on your LinkedIn profile for the world to see. That's quite childish, really, isn't it? Maybe I'll have to, uh, I'll have to update that. But no, good to hear Chelsea spoken about like that, and good to hear um, about the glory days before those difficult 80s as well. I wondered what was coming. You so often uh, take that as your chance to cut a team down to size, but that was quite glowing, really. No, that's okay. Wikipedia is very balanced, you see, Dom. Uh, I, I thought we could start the show off a little bit differently than we have done recently. Um, maybe a, an amusing story of your kind of football supporting life so, so far. Um, yeah, so um, the, sort of the funniest, I suppose, match that experience or incident I've kind of had came um, in the last couple of years. So you half alluded to my job there, but um, because we deal in um, part of it is like selling beverages, like we have links with Carabao. Um, I don't know if you remember, Carabao had this very strange sponsorship deal with us where they yeah. um, sponsored our training kit only. I know they've got ties to a few other clubs. They've got Red in, haven't they? Yeah. Um, and then obviously there's the cup um, itself now. But um, one of my friends at work, she like was the, dealt with the Carabao account, um, became quite close to their account manager and managed to get tickets for a couple of games. We went along um, in a box where yeah we sort of had to go along we did the usual three course meal beforehand lovely very nice prawn yes. sandwich um it wasn't actually i think it was yeah. sushi in there at one point oh, very yeah. good. <laughs> one or the um, other yeah we're home to leicester rebecca vardy in the corridor that kind of thing oh um, yeah yeah and um so we're in this box with um, the owner of carabo um mm. our account manager and then his extended Thai family, about 20 people. So um, just sort of 20, 23, 25 of us. Um, and it's just so bizarre. In walks um, Bobby Tamlin. Um, you've done your research. You can tell me who he is. Um, but he was our <laughs> record goal scorer before Frank Lampard. And so yep. I'm there, I'm in awe. I'm looking at him going, oh my God. Um, if my dad could see me now sat here like mm. talking to Bobby Tamlin, um, he'd be so jealous. And 
Um, no one else in the box has a clue who he is. Like no one's got any idea. He's walked in. He's given it the big kind of I am. I'm guessing he has to do it like quite regularly. Yeah. Before match days, and then we were taken out onto the bit where the seats are, and the weirdest thing we have to have this group photo um, right so i think it's something that the family wanted and we've had this group photo where it's me in the middle of 20 thai um of the caribou yeah the, the guy that owns caribou him and his family and bobby mm. tamlin and i've still got the picture somewhere i'm not sure where but um <laughs> that was a match day experience i thought i'd never have and probably everything that's wrong with football these days as well did anyone tell them who he actually was or were they just thought he was like a some sort of security manager or something. I think they they had no interest. He snuck into the photo. Mm. I'm not sure they wanted him there. They were far more interested in the uh, magician that came around at the table <laughs> doing a few little tricks. Yeah, I mean it, it. It doesn't. It doesn't kind of make the League Cup, for example, being sponsored by Carabao any more um, important to anyone. It even makes it probably more of a joke than it already is. I guess, isn't it? <laughs> That's a- And, and I take it you're looking forward to football restarting in a week and a half. Chelsea, of course, travelling to Aston Villa on Sunday, the 21st of June. Um, yeah, looking forward to that one. I assume you'll be watching. Yeah, God, it's going to be great, isn't it? I think um, something you've asked everyone is have they been kind of getting their football fix? And I think yeah. whilst it's been away, kind of I've not missed it too much because like I always associate it with that routine that you have of like your working week and then your weekends mm. and things. But um that routine kind of hasn't been there so football not being there hasn't really felt like it's um, been a miss but as soon as those fixtures kind of get announced um we know every game is going to be live on tv uh, it's really exciting isn't it and i've been able to, uh, able to dig up the last man standing competition that i run as well so i did get your email actually yeah, I, yeah. I was thinking are you still in uh i think i'm still in yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure I am. Well, I mean, I got I got the email, so I assume I am. Don't don't you cut people off or not? No, that's far too much work. <laughs> it was a very detailed email. I'll, I'll have to admit to you now, I did skim read it. Yeah, it's long. <laughs> Sorry, detail. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I I probably won't win. But big prize pot, isn't it? It's a two hundred odd pounds. Two hundred and fifty. Yeah, two fifty. Yeah, if you're still yeah. in, pick still wisely. In in for a shout in for a shout but no yeah it's really exciting for it to come back and um the chelsea fever kind of um began to build this week because obviously the timo verna signing got announced yeah so there's there's already like a lot lot of optimism going into next season kind of before this one's finished Mm. and it's been a yeah it's been a quite a funny old season hasn't it for chelsea because you you know kind of lampard coming in um the, the form was very much mixed and i think They've done well enough to kind of get up into that fourth place, obviously three points ahead of Manchester United at the moment. Um, and, you know, for you, do, do you think they'll, they have enough to kind of stay there? Um, but I suppose my flip side of that question is the integrity now of the competition may have changed slightly. So who knows how, how, how teams will react to playing, say, behind closed doors? Um, when you say integrity, you're talking about can it be the same match day experience for all the players and things? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's a good question. I sort of think um, integrity of the competition, although it's a shame that I think clearly it has been impacted. Um, like it was something so major that happened that it's good to be able to kind of get football back anyway. And it's something that we shouldn't sort of focus on too much, I don't think anyway, because they found a way to get football back that hopefully is quite safe. I understand if some players 
don't feel that, that it is safe because they're going between this professional life and home life. Yeah. Um, but in terms of integrity of the competition, it feels like such a small thing to me when um, we've had sort of the trauma that we have had with the COVID-19. Mm. Um, but I think it's something that if we lose out because of it, let's say we're the ones, we're the incumbents at the moment, aren't we, in fourth? If yeah. we lose out because of it, like, I'm not going to moan. Such, such a big upheaval's happened to the way we're going to follow the Premier League anyway. Um, mm. And, and, and you say... something to focus on. Yeah, exactly. And and to be fair, I think for yourself, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine your opinion is actually finishing fourth is a fantastic bonus, really, and perhaps maybe slightly unexpected. And if you'd finished sort of fifth, sixth, that wouldn't have been a bad season for Frank in his first season. As you say, that, you know, your recent signing uh, as well, that it could hopefully kind of catapult you further up the league next season. But yeah, we'll move past the uh, finishing fourth cliche, shall we? Every year. It's fifth this year, what with Man City's um, impending ban, isn't it? So, yeah. Unless yeah, United absolutely. sort themselves out. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I think finishing in the top four, top five, whatever it needed to be, um, was always well, in, well above kind of expectation and what we needed for the season. Um, the other thing that emerged with this whole Timo Werner deal is um, a three-year plan that we've had. So I don't know if you've heard about it in the news, but um, it's something that I've never seen kind of connected to us as a club before. Mm. Um, but as Lampard came in, obviously we had um, we were sort of up against it, if you like, with Hazard going. We weren't allowed, allowed to bring anyone in, so we were forced to sign like Kovacic, um, who had already been on loan. And so they've spoken about this three-year plan where year one is kind of stabilised, and that's the bringing through of all the young players, um, which has gone really well, um, I think, anyway. Season two is going to be challenge. So because we're still in the FA Cup, because we're challenging for that sort of third, fourth place, um, we're sort of already on track for that. And then season yeah. three was going to be where they expected trophies to start returning to the club. Mm. Um, it's good they're going about it because, you know, I suppose because Abramovich has been there for so long now, hasn't it? You know, since 2003, yeah. as I mentioned in the the esteemed intro. Um, but yeah, he, he clearly he has a bit more of a balanced view rather than that chuck money in it and instant success um and i think it was something that kind of chris mentioned in the, the previous show whereas they're looking at just being a more financially sustainable club because you know one day roman will leave one way or another and the last thing you want to happen is to, to end up in a, in a bit of financial difficulty there yeah it's definitely something that's been um i think something that clearly he wanted to move towards but also the financial fair play stuff has sort of forced his hand yeah. at the same time there um, but I know he did a while ago sort of put around the idea of trying to sell um, when he was when he was exonerated from the country and not allowed back <laughs> in. And yeah. now he's an Israeli member, not Israeli member. Um, yeah, he's got an Israeli passport, hasn't he now? Mm. And things So he can come here on holiday or something. Um, yeah, he did sort of put the idea of selling Chelsea out there, but no one met his value anywhere near. So I think he's sort of retaken stock at that point. Mm. Fantastic. So um, let's talk a little bit about Don Bailey, the Chelsea supporter. Um, where, where did it all stem oh, from? Yeah. Um, it comes from the usual roots, doesn't it? Really, it comes from the family. It comes from dad. There's uh, there's no way around it. So he he's been a, he was a Chelsea fan his whole life. He grew up in Ballam, so with that SW postcode. So I suppose you're kind of between Palace and Chelsea at that point. Um, mm. But he was taken to Chelsea sort of in those first few years. Um, and it kind of stuck from there. I think 
the 70s and 80s, like you sort of mentioned earlier, weren't great periods for us. So he went through a lot of hard times uh, to get yeah, to where yeah. we are now. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but his earliest memories would have been like the 1970 FA Cup win against Leeds and things. Mm. So I'm guessing that can um, really sort of stick in the memory and form an opinion. Yeah, and then you're right. It's a family ties um, again. And, and I think, strangely, I think you're the only Chelsea supporter I actually know, which I always kind of think is, is strange because I suppose sort of when we were kind of growing up, which would have been like the, uh, you know, going through school in secondary school, anyway, in the early 2000s, you kind of think you would maybe meet more glory fans and, and stuff like that. But personally, I, I don't know. I just never came across many Chelsea supporters. It, uh, did you find that? Do you know? Do you know a lot of kind of Chelsea fans as friends, or just met people through the club? I would say I don't know as many as I do of other clubs from um, having been at uni, like living in Maidstone, so down in Kent. I mean, in Kent, there's not obviously not really a local team to support. So apart from Gillingham, they are there, but I never really felt much attachment to them personally. Um, so everyone tends to like latch onto London clubs, or mm. there was sort of Man United at the time, but. There's a few Chelsea fans um, at uni. Again, I met a couple, happened to actually live with one, which was um, great. But yeah, outside my family, um, unless I'd gone hunting for them. No, there's not loads. I suppose mm-hmm. you're right. Maybe it comes from um, the age we are. So Abramovich turned up, if you, it's horrible to talk about the fact that there probably are those glory fans out there. But Abramovich yeah. turned up in 03, just as we were all going to secondary school. And I think people are kind of pretty set by then aren't they? Yeah, that, that's um, true. That's true. I mean, you mentioned Abramovich there. Have you, have you noticed um, a big change in the club? I mean, obviously on the pitch with the amount of successes with Chelsea, but have you noticed kind of a change in the fan base or anything else about the club that, that has, I suppose, duly changed from prior to when he came, came in? You know what? I'm going to say something mad and I'm going to say um, no, but maybe it's just because I was kind of too young at the time Mm. to appreciate it. So like the whole story starts back in um, 95 with Glenn Hoddle. So people talk about Abramovich turning up, um, but Glenn Hoddle was the one that like really laid the foundations for what was coming. So in 95, Hoddle turns up. In 96, he attracts Ruud Hullet to the club. In 97, Viali and Zola turn up. Um, and obviously this like cosmopolitan Chelsea begin to get spoken about at that point um, mm. and that West London postcode and everything that kind of comes with it um, and that was great and so obviously as I was growing up with football my first memory was, was like winning an FA Cup and then my first season following like in earnest was the 98-99 season obviously known for United winning the treble but we finished something like six points off the title that year and we're right in it until Steve Guppy bent one into the far corner um, <laughs> with two games to go. And so as that's kind of evolved, um, for me, there's just been this upward trajectory like the whole time. And so Abramovich coming in just felt, I wouldn't say normal, but I didn't really know any different. It just felt like what needed to happen. As part, yeah, mm-hmm. just as part of this story. Um, and so I would say the thing that was a bit different is as Mourinho came in, we began to want win trophies. Um, and we were still on this upward trend. And then when he left was the first time that we weren't really in this like ascendancy. Mm. Um, and that's probably where you notice um, pre-Mourinho being sacked to post-Mourinho being sacked is probably the biggest change. And where this like expectation comes in and um, disgruntlement and um, probably quite self-entitled fans at points. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's fair enough. And um, Mourinho obviously had his, his critics um, over the years. Um, 
I assume yeah. you see him as a as Chelsea legend. Um, how, how do you the man who stole him? the show? Yeah, we're the man who's didn't we? <laughs> you would take him back? No way, not anymore. No, so it's over, isn't it? So when yeah. he came back, um, there'd been kind of enough. Well, when he got sacked the first time, it was interesting because obviously in that mm. first um, instance or that first era, he could do no wrong, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the reason he was sacked was for this whole not quite conforming to this. Um, free-flowing attacking football that Abramovich really wanted at the time yeah. and so after a pretty turgid like one-all draw at home to Rosenberg um, in the Champions League is when he got sacked and I've gone back and had a look at a couple of lineups because what I really associate Chelsea with at that point is like centre midfielders but no flair mm. and one of our lineups from early that season had um, Lampard, Balak, Estian, Makaleli, Diara, and um, there was one other centre midfielder at the same time. I can't remember. But we started the game with six centre mid. Oh, Mikel. Mm. And that is just that's never going to be attractive, is it? <laughs> so Mourinho was out for not really conforming to what Abramovich wanted. Um, mm. But when he came back, like it was amazing at that point. We were not performing particularly well. Mm. Um, and within two years, he'd obviously won the title again. But then it became so toxic so quickly, like almost overnight. I'm not really sure what happened. He began to pick up a bit of a third season syndrome tag by this point, hadn't he? Mm. And we were sort of I, seeing it unfold. Yeah, because I was watching um, some interviews with him earlier today, today um, during my lunch hour, if any employers yeah. are listening. Uh, <laughs> so I put that out there. Um, and yeah, because he, he's, he's always been asked that question about the third season and he kind of fights back with it every single time because he goes like, didn't get given a third season, full season at Porto. Inter didn't get a third season, a full season anyway. Chelsea, I think he... Did he win the FA Cup in his first spell? In his third like, season, yeah. Third season, yeah, third season. Yeah. So he, his point was actually he didn't do too badly in the third season. Um, but I think it, the, mainly the point the journalists were trying to make was actually, well, you never stayed anywhere longer than three seasons, though. I think that that was probably the, the point. But do, do you suppose, do you think his personality has kind of changed over the years? Or do you think football has surpassed his kind of tactical nous? Because, you know... He, you know, you would think about the special one comments when he joined and the kind of the arrogance, but actually he was a relatively likable manager. Uh, whereas now, and I think kind of the second spell with um, Chelsea and obviously going on to Manchester United, he suddenly just had this aura of anger around him. Like he wasn't saying, this... yeah, no, you're right. I would say one leads the other. So that, um, uh, a lot of people say it was kind of born from that time at Real Madrid, don't they? Well, obviously Pep came yeah. through and his Barcelona team just sort of pushed him aside mm. and um, he sort of reacted really poorly in the media and you could sort of see it beginning to happen there. Um, and so clearly at that point, he was beginning to fall behind slightly tactically, maybe. Um, and then obviously, I don't know, maybe that just sort of drives the persona that we see in public of being mm. actually quite an angry person that... Because um, he was, you're right, he was known for joking around, wasn't mm. he? That first press conference was like famed at Chelsea. <laughs> he turns up, um, I'm going to avoid saying the special one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he turned up and was really likable, like you say. And I think a lot of people were actually quite pleased to have him in the Premier League. Mm. I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. No. Yeah, exactly. And um, I used to work with a Spurs fan uh, when Mourinho was hired and he was like, 
he was going give him the keys to Tottenham he said and I was kind of yeah. like and I, I couldn't really understand that because I was thinking you have seen what's sort of gone on in the last few years and it's a massive risk him taking charge there but um who knows who knows if he will kind of yeah. relight that that fire that he kind of once had I wondered as well because I know you you already kind of mentioned Crystal Palace and having a few friends that oh, obviously yeah. support the team as well. Um, and you you have a little bit of affinity with Palace. Um, yeah, I would say a slight affinity. So it came from um, our family being from sort of Ballon mm. Stroke, moving to Sutton. So we've got a lot of family in South London. So that was kind of there always. It was Chelsea, then Palace, Chelsea, then Palace. And uh, when I was yeah, when I went to um, senior school, like in a couple of my close friends, then were Crystal Palace fans as well. So that helped drive that connection. Um, and then, do you know, it was actually really concentrated, I would say, my kind of affinity with Crystal Palace of when I went up to uni. So living at Nottingham, you mentioned it earlier. Like, yeah. That's such a championship part of the world, isn't it? <laughs> it's such a, you can get a train to anywhere within like an hour and yeah. eight or nine of the grounds. Um, <laughs> So for one year, well, 18 months, two years, maybe, um, I went to a lot of away games, not even so much the home games. I went to a lot of their away games. And this was at a time when they were like battling, battling to stay um, in the championship. They've been through mm. that administration uh, where they almost went down. And at this point, they were, yeah, a pretty poor club. So yeah. I don't actually have a great record that season. I went um, seven times, seven losses. 24-3 on aggregate I think the score was oh my god yeah. why did you keep going oh, three people tell you it's fun don't they you enjoy the day out I think I don't know but I suppose for you it, it wouldn't hurt as much as if you were a diehard Crystal Palace fan for example you were going along to watch some football that's true but I am going I'm going with diehard Palace fans You're spending so your time going. yeah yeah yeah, you try and cheer them up afterwards. <laughs> that is oh, a shocking yeah. record. Jesus. Um, so you haven't probably been for a few years then. So it was was it kind of a fleeting affinity, I guess? Yeah, I think so. It was actually in 2011, start of the 11-12 season. They had uh, Man United away in the League Cup. We went up to Old Trafford. And Palace actually won 2-1. I don't know if you remember the Ambrose Thunderbastard. Oh, they, uh, that, yeah. yeah. That, what, what, what was That was in the Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, it was amazing though. Yeah, yeah. No expectation that. going up there. Glenn Murray nicks a goal. Ambrose smashes one in. Yeah, um, Darren Ambrose. Yeah. Crikey. Yeah, yeah. Who are your top three most hated clubs? Um, and I suppose it's been quite interesting with this so far because sometimes it's obviously, um, you know, the location of the club and maybe... Um, the nearest clubs to, to that to that club and obviously being their big rivals or sometimes you know you get rivalries from you know history uh for example wolves and leeds that chris was talking about in the last show or sometimes yeah, it's leeds. just yeah yeah oh there you That's go one for us there's another well. one. he's not in, my, not in the top three but yeah we hate leeds fair enough and i suppose then the other one um yeah would be you know if you've got a lot of friends that support a certain club like you know i really don't like bristol city for that reason uh being a Millwall fan in the bristol area growing up and um so I suppose there's some three categories why people hate a club. Um, but yeah, what, what are your top three and um, any, any reasoning behind it, Dom? Um, I think mine fall into, none of them are really to do with people that I know as such. Um, 
couple of them fall into like the London category and it's sort of tough to get away from that and um, that proximity and having that many London derbies a season means you're bound to hate some of those teams. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is like, well, I'll go through them, shall I? So in at three, uh, at three, in at three, we have West Ham, <laughs> um, who people may not necessarily um, expect to be on there, but um, just mm. their history with Chelsea over the last few years has been um, sort of really quite aggressive. Um, and so the, the first factor being like the whole Frank Lampard, Joe Cole, Glenn yep. Johnson thing. We took a lot of their players in those early 2000 years. And um, I, well, I went to Chelsea home to Palace last season and like Lampard's not even in the stadium and they just won't shut up like um, singing songs about booing him and things. And yep. it's just there the whole time. So um, there's kind of no way to get around that. And then the other thing that really, really bugs me about West Ham is they turn up for us every year, year after year. Now, obviously, we're still Chelsea. We have quite a good record against them mm. um, because we are the better team. But like, they will turn up and give us two hard games every single really? year yeah. at times when it's quite important to us and they just won't roll over. And we've got some pretty poor results against them along the way. Mm. And I did a bit of research. This is quite sad. I did a bit of research because my eluding memory of West Ham or thoughts about West Ham is here in Manchester City 6, West Ham nil. Right? And <laughs> between Liverpool, Arsenal and uh, Man City, I don't think West Ham have like, beaten them for about six years or something. Mm. So they'll turn up twice for us and then just get rolled, get rolled over by anyone that we're in that competition with. <laughs> very annoying for for the for the Chelsea fans that. Um, yeah, yeah, I suppose I suppose there probably are some similarities if I think about the, the origins of the clubs in regards to that kind of quite a working class fan base. And you think about kind of the hooliganisms during kind of maybe the seventies and the West Ham and Chelsea were quite big during that. So um, yeah, perhaps there is some history there, I would imagine. Um, but maybe a more modern. Yeah. Time. Like any good rivalry, there's a bit of history there. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. um, in it too. So this is like a real modern day kind of rivalry and actually doesn't apply to the last few years so much, but um, Liverpool. So, and this was really formed as Mourinho turned up. Like we talked about Mourinho, but they had Benitez turn up at like the same summer. Um, and from then on, from, from the moment those two turned up, like these two contrasting styles, um, we played them 20 times over four seasons. Yeah. Which yeah. is um, enough. Like I'm <laughs> sick of the size of them at that point. And they were all so tense as well. As, like as a collective of games, those Champions League games were... I think probably as tense as I've ever been watching football because they were cagey. They were low scoring apart from a couple of like exceptions. Um, and they always got the better of us. Well, uh, yeah, in those early years anyway, they always got the better of us, despite the fact we kind of knew or thought we were the better side. We were finishing above them in the league. Mm. Um, and they were the ones really kind of scuppering that yeah, European dream at that point. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's an interesting yeah, choice. I, I didn't I didn't put them in your top three off the top of my head. So um, I think I may know who your number one is going to be, though, if you'd like to reveal yeah. that. Well, just to put a point on the Liverpool one as well, it kind of ran and ran since then as well. So it's just formed with like the Gerrard slip, with the Torres for 50 million, um, and nothing kind of really sort of gets put to bed with them. So, yeah, I think mm. that one's there to stay now. And then, yeah, Fair number enough. one, I think a lot of people could guess. Um, Matt refused to mention their name, actually, didn't he, when are, it was his are you, turn. Are you, um, would you like me to no, bleak I, you as well? I can say their name. I can say their name. It's Spurs, isn't it? Oh, um, oh 
horrible, oh. horrible little club. Yeah. Mm. Um, again, a bit like the West Ham one. I think it, like it was a rivalry sort of formed before my time. So I'm in the seventies where they beat us um, in an FA Cup final, and then at one point um, they actually relegated us. It's between the two of us on the last day of the season, and they beat us to leapfrog us and jump out of the relegation mm. zone. Um, so that was kind of formed there. Not that I knew so much about that, but there's just there's so many like moving parts to this Spurs uh, kind of rivalry. The fact that um, they didn't beat us in the Premier League until 2006, they didn't beat us at Stamford Bridge in the Premier League until 2018, um, mm. and that was just kind of there hanging over them. They were the first football team to make me cry. Uh, <laughs> I had a good cry in 2002. They beat us 5-1 in a League Cup semi-final, and. Uh, I must have been, what, um, 10 or so at that yeah. point. But yeah, I yeah. remember crying that night. And then it's all, all built up to um, the Battle of the Bridge, didn't it, in 2016? Yeah. And that, I think it became really sort of public and well-known at that point that Chelsea and Spurs, especially for this generation, that Chelsea and Spurs really disliked each other. That is... Well, I mean, I loved that game. <laughs> I was fantastic. Oh, no, me too. It, it was like... It. Yeah, it's great. And to anyone that hasn't seen that, I know there are highlights on YouTube that you can watch. And um, I suppose, do you want to give some background about that that game? Because it was when Leicester obviously won the, the league. And This uh, is sort of the great thing for us. Yeah, like Leicester won the league in a season. We finished 10th. And um, just as like a side note, it made it really great to be able to fully commit to supporting Leicester at that point because we were gone. We were out, nowhere to be seen. Yeah. Whereas I know for like Arsenal and Man City fans, they can't really enjoy it in the same way because it should have been them yeah, that won yeah. the league that season. Um, but we still managed to have our say sort of in where the title went, didn't we, on a um, famed, I think it might have been a Monday night, where obviously Tottenham had to come to Stamford Bridge somewhere they haven't won before in the Premier League. And a win kind of really keeps them on track, but not winning hands the title to Leicester and um, more than just drawing the game like we they went two up we were looking pretty poor and then Eden Hazard decided to turn up and uh, sort of shut down those dreams and then just the enduring memory is their whole team losing their heads as a collective it it was like a game back in time wasn't it you know in the 70s and 80s just hacking down and um, yeah it, it yeah it just felt so vintage it was I mean, I, I loved it. I was like, get in, get stuck it's, in. It's amazing there were no red cards. I think they had 10 players no. booked and no one sent off. Yeah, um, I mean... Which must be a record. Talk about failing, failing to control your players. Oh. I mean, that. I don't know what... Yeah, whatever stemmed them on to do that? I mean, you think, was it Potts just going, oh, I just break some legs now? Do you know? I mean, they just lost Not their sure. legs. Mm. I think... What year was that? Fifteen, sixteen. Had they challenged yeah. the year before? I know over the last five years they probably have been um, better than us, kind of on average. Even though we've actually won a couple of titles, sort of against the rhythm of the league, I think mm. um, we've sort of been more up and down, whereas they've been very consistent in that top three. Um, and maybe it just felt like this was the one that the one chance they did have, and it was slipping away. I don't know. A lot of Argentinian like heated blood in there, isn't there? There's Lamella, there's Pochettino. Yeah. Um, Eric Dyer's an idiot. There's all that. Just all... <laughs> Super Eric Dyer. Um, great stuff, mate. Um, I thought Arsenal might be in there, in that top three. Um, I... Kind of. That was one for me. Before the Liverpool rivalry kind of really mm. kicked in, Arsenal sort of broke my heart year after year after year. Mm. Um, 
and in late 90s, early 90s, like we just couldn't buy a win against them anywhere until that Champions League quarter final where it all sort of turned around. Yeah. And for the next 10 years or so, um, I mean, we still had close games. We sort of had their number, I would say, at that point. Um, the the Mourinho Wenger yeah. rivalry as well um, was quite, quite rife. Yeah, I mean, maybe Arsenal can consider themselves unlucky not to be in my top three. <laughs> Fair enough. So, yeah, any amusing experiences, perhaps on an away day trip, Dom, that you've kind of thoroughly enjoyed for one reason or another or had any kind of lasting memories from? Do you know what? The story uh, I'm going to leave you with here is um, actually down at your boys, down at the Den. So Shock. and it's a, it's a Crystal Palace away story. Um, so it's, um, it's New Year's Day. It's 2011. Um, just had a pretty... Um, awful night sleeping like on a friend's floor of some barn like we obviously had a big night um celebrating in the new year and we've all overslept and i'm in a pretty like um sort of terrible state i'm there in my 2011 get up so i've got my shiny shirt on i've got my skinny jeans i've got my pointy <laughs> shoes nice. um, and I get picked up from a, um, from my friends and driven straight to the train station. Don't have time. Don't have time to get back home, have a shower, any of that stuff. Uh, On the drive down to the train station, dad, 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 pull over. I've had to get out, throw up, side of the road. Um, at this point, I'm feeling pretty, pretty bleak. Um, I was really excited about going up to Mill as well, actually. But um, had you not been? Point, was that your first time ever? First going? time at the den, yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Um, pretty excited about going up there people talk about it don't they it's like a really intimidating place to go it's a london derby anyway we get on the train we get up there and uh we get off at uh, must have been bermondsey south and like really bizarre you're the shepherded away aren't you from the home fans didn't see a home fan i've got we've got our own little routes um, yep. to the away around end. the back yeah in we go i'm stood there in my shirt and my far too thin coat for this time of year um game kicks off i've had to nip off to go and have another little chunder i just anyone that knows me will not be surprised that i've had a couple of times sort of fame for it really um yeah i've had to go and i've sort of come back um and then the game just descended into Millwall three crystal palace nil jason punching gets a hat trick um dreadful dreadful match of football and on the train on the way home george burley gets sacked so all in all happy new year <laughs> I'm on the 2011. Not even a fan of Crystal Palace as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good old. I do. I did. I didn't go to that match. Um, but yeah, good. I do have. Uh, I remember it obviously well. That that is talked about still. Yeah. Great result from Millwall, and obviously Punch and went on to play for Crystal Palace as well. So yeah, there we go. Yep. <laughs> Shall we have a little quiz? Let's go for it. I was hoping you'd accept the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you scored um, six or seven. I mean, <laughs> six or Welcome along to the Call Yourself a Fan quiz, a quiz that my brother has labelled as Tin Pot and Two Bob. 
don't know if you agree with that, Dom, if you've heard it so far. Either way, so long as I come out top of the leaderboard, who cares? Well, there'll only be a possibility to actually finish joint top. As, as you're aware, our, our second guest, Will, um, scored 10 out of 10, somehow remembering the number of uh, Calvin Andrews' squad number, who, uh, you know, only a very diehard fan could actually remember that useless lump up front. Um, but anyway, I've just uh, for context, listeners, if you've not heard this before, I have written a quiz round, and Dom has no di- idea of the topic until now, ladies and gentlemen. So I've gone for Jose Mourinho quotes. Shock. Oh, mm. might be Shock. tricky, actually. Actual yeah. quotes. I've heard Jose Mourinho and I thought, oh, that could be good. But quotes. Then he put quotes so in. Yeah. Oh, I put a little spin on it there. So question one. You know, he's a specialist in failure. Uh, I'm not. Who was Jose talking about? That is Big Arson, isn't it? In his coat. It is. Nice, easy one to start there. Question okay. two. True to his word, uh, Jose has provided the champagne today. We weren't... Uh, I deserve nice questions. Yes. We, we weren't sure if it was a good or bad idea, but I think we're just about to find out. I paid. I paid. What, 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 was, what was going on there? What, why, why was that happening? Mm, I'm not sure. Is it anything to do with winning the league? Good, good guess. He was actually celebrating his 51st birthday with journalists in 2014. He bought them all champagne, which um, his relationship must have been a lot better with the press back then, I assume, Dom. So he's a lovely man at one point, yeah. Probably be giving them dirty water now. Um, question three, direct quote from Jose. You are not interested in the players that are playing. You're interested in the players not playing. Who was that predominantly about? Oh, yeah, I know this. I forgot to mention, actually, that as part of the demise was the selling of um, certain players. This was, was it Kevin De Bruyne? Um, I, when he I wasn't... Yes, it was about Kevin De Bruyne not being picked. Um, I'll, I'll kind of accept that because he mentions two players, to be fair, but he ma- he's mainly referring to one matter when he was dropped. Um, oh, but he also, he also does talk about De Bruyne. So I, w- I will accept that, to be fair. Um, but that was also in a press conference. Yeah. Cool. Question four. When I see him, I switch off the television. Who's he talking about there? Hopefully it's Michael Owen. Um, you going for Owen? No, I've got, um, I'm not sure who it is. Um, who could it be? Rafa Benitez, I'm going to guess. Well, you were on the right lines of the punditry. It was Jamie Redknapp. Jamie Redknapp. He, had, he had a bit oh, of a spat yeah. with him a few years ago on... Uh, I remember this now, back when Jamie Redknapp was trying to make a statement, yeah. Yeah, when he was even shitter than he is now. Um, one out of four so far, Dom. So, question five. I agree, I play against them ten times and I never lost. <laughs> what wanted to call me? <laughs> they won- funny, funny, Jose, ten times, they don't win once. What do you want me to call me? Who were the team? Blimey, this is hard, isn't it, this round? Um, let's go Spurs. Because uh, I, we, I know we were famed for parking the bus against them at one point. No, them parking the bus against us. Um, good good guess. That, that's Arsenal again. Was it? Okay. Yeah, that sounds about it's right, Arsenal doesn't it? Again. It sounds in line with Arsenal and what they yeah. think, how they think football should be played. Yeah. Exactly right. 
this is yeah, maybe they say I mean I thought the last quiz was hard but I, I was hoping actually yeah my bad sorry you have got two right not one I'm already minusing marks from you um so the next question question six when we go to Manchester United I will bring a very good what um blimey mate where have you gone and dug all these up from no, you've watched one YouTube about- You've watched one YouTube video, haven't you? And there they all are. Cheeky compilation. <laughs> but, yeah, but what, what um, could he bring up to Manchester United? I go bus. I'm going to say bus. A bus. It's a bottle of wine. It was, he was talking about um, having uh, a glass of wine with uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. He's an idol. Yeah. Yeah. Um, question seven. You look more worried than me. You say the same thing twice in 10 minutes. Or do you think I am deaf? Or you think I don't know that before you? This was about in a press conference where Jose got angered um, when a journalist sort of brought up something about Chelsea uh, and he, 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 he sort of responded. Um, any ideas? Oh, Mikey. <laughs> oh, Mikey. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I mean, you know, um, it's something bad, so what could it Yeah, it's going to be bad. Is it to do with, um, I don't know, uh, not winning the league or something or maybe boring football it could be boring football or something like that so it was when they had their worst start to the season in a decade um, um was it oh was it 15 16 then? yes yeah second stint Correct. yeah 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 um question eight three nil three nil do you know what this mean three nil but also mean three premierships and I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. Three for me and two for them. What did he say next? He kind of uttered two words before leaving the press conference. This was when he was Manchester United manager. Um, is it along the lines of respect? Respect me. <laughs> correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Uh, nine. Um, you are as close to Cardiff as you are Manchester City. Is the is this the title over? What did Jose respond to that with? Oh God, um, I hope it's something along the lines of mathematically it's still possible because that would be ridiculous if we're that close to the relegation zone. Well, he said no. He said I think we're not going to be relegated. Was yeah. the answer to that. And we and we weren't. So and we were. So he was sort of right. Um, and then the final question, in 2015, what did Paul Baker become famous for on Sky Sports News? Um, oh, is it the song? Yeah, <laughs> he sure. sung it. He sung it. You yeah, sung it's it. already been in there. <laughs> the man who stole the <laughs> show. <laughs> for the, um, no. So he, he became famous for this. We'd like to thank you for the trophies and the good times too. We'll sing your name at every game. You're the special one, and we all love you. Ready, goes. The best in the world, we all know. We didn't ever want you to go. Jose Mourinho, the man who stole the show. You're the special one, and you're dynamo. Whoa, whoa. Jose Mourinho. So did that ever actually catch on, Don? Whoa, whoa. Did, did you hear? Did you hear it around the stadium? Uh, what a fantastic! Um, I never have, but a little part of me wants Jose to come back for that third stint, just so he can be interviewed, just so we can find out exactly what he thinks. 
Exactly. And what's so funny about that video is, so Paul Baker, I don't even know, is he a famous Chelsea fan or just some random guy? I don't think he's been seen before or since, to be fair. Uh, um, <laughs> he's been banned. But that video is in folklore, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. So he must be in his 50s and he's created this uh, ridic- that ridiculous song that you've just heard. Uh, it looks like he's having some sort of midlife crisis on the video. What I find funny about it is his daughter and wife kind of miming and looking like they would literally want to be anywhere else in the world whilst it's going on. Yeah, it's been um, really well drilled like, into them, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's just like, oh, dad. But anyway, uh, Paul Baker. So I think you got four there, Dom. So that was, that was quite hard. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, you, are, you are... You are bottom do you, do you know what i'm so conscious of someone getting 10 again so yeah. far i've tried to make the last two harder than perhaps um they should be but i think that's a respectable score judging by that but it's only a bit of fun so don't worry now nah, we'll go with it yeah right let's crack on to the world famous worst 11 now um and i must say before we get started what a great team this is um a real mixture of um i suppose players during your time supporting the club as well and you've you've gone for a 4-3-3 yep the uh formation that Mourinho used that very first um season as we sort of cruised to the title to be fair i think i've gone for it just because um strikers we've just got so many strikers and if i didn't put three in it would have been absolutely criminal fair enough so let's start with your goalkeeper who who did you pick yeah so goalkeeper is an interesting one because um we've had some great ones to be fair this is actually um quite hard we've not had a proper first choice goalkeeper that i would say was bad at any point kepper is probably closest to that now and he's still okay i think yeah um but I've managed to find and claw out Mark Bosnich, mm, um, the Australian that we signed from Man United. Yeah, so a bit of a, a bit of a mess this one, really, because um, mm. he came in. Um, I must have been like two thousand and one or something. He came in um, to complete our squad. Uh, Ranieri said top teams have, must have four top goalkeepers, so he became our fourth top goalkeeper Why? in the squad. I'm not sure. I don't know. And for me, he was only ever going to be back up to Cudicini anyway, so it seemed a bit bizarre. Um, but he made about five appearances in total over the year and a half or so that he was there. Um, and then it just sort of all went downhill, didn't it, really? So, um, sacked for cocaine abuse, um, which, yeah, isn't a good one for anyone. It's not. And um, he claims, still claims to this day that his drink was spiked with cocaine. Um, so he hasn't actually said that he, he um, was taking it then, but he then became a cocaine addict during his time during the ban that, that he then yeah. had, which I found was really weird because basically he was dating this glamour model who was also yeah. um, a cocaine addict. And to show, to, to show her how... Sophie, to, Sophie Anderton, yeah. That's it. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good, um, good memory. Um, and um, to show her that it was like destroying their relationship, he said to her, whenever you do a line of cocaine, I'm going to do two. Now, <laughs> what sort of advice? One up, yeah, a little one up. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, obviously, it soon spiraled oh, into heavy addiction, um, you know, which crippling, I imagine. And um, apparently, he nearly shot his own father with an air rifle because his father, he thought his father was breaking into his home, but obviously, he was wired and 
had been up for wow. about four days. So, um, yeah, very um, strange story. I think I, I'd not, I've actually forgot to look what he's doing now. I think he's back in Australia doing something or other, maybe some coaching or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's an interesting story about Bosnich. A nice little side part to that story is a young John Terry of all people mm. apparently stood up in front of the team and said to him, um, look, Mark, you're going down a bad road with some bad people. And so John Terry of all people tried to get him on the straight and narrow. <laughs> Judging by his family as well. Jesus. Um, um, we cool. can't leave. We can't leave Bosnich, though, before this story. Nothing to do with his time at Chelsea. Go on. But what is it about goalkeepers and this? So at Villa, I didn't know this. He um, was caught doing a Nazi salute to Jurgen Klinsmann. <laughs> Really? What was during a match? Was that? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but um, I told you Wayne Hennessy was going to come back up, didn't I? Uh, here we go. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> that's... Anyway, um, moving on to your right back. Sure. Um, so, maybe a bit unlucky to be in the team. So, David Zappacosta. Mm. Um, but for me, it's just, I thought it was just a really poor footballer and he's such a symbol of like what Chelsea had become over the last sort of four or five years spending um shit money on shit players basically and so he's part of what I know I've got here is that it was part of I would say the worst transfer window we've ever had we've ever had so mm. three of the players from that window are actually in this team could easily be four mm. um and he was just I just remember every time the ball would come to him like the attack would break down or he would just be found out of position or, and it was at a time when like, so we spent 20, 25 million in that region on yeah. him. And it just felt like a nothing amount of money to spend. It was at a time when City was spending like 50, 60 million on wingbacks yeah. to really try and, that's how the game was going. Um, wingbacks were going to be the next big thing. And we're half arsing it, spending 20 million on a bloke from Torino. That mm. is he first choice? Is he going to be better than Nasprilaqueta, who's already aging a little bit? And, mm. um, sort of not really. No, I was going to say he's currently on loan at Roma. Um, but I think yeah. he's actually only made one appearance because he did his um, one of his cruciate ligaments. And so I'm not sure he's actually even played for them. For a small and keeping him out the side, is he? <laughs> <laughs> that says it all. What, what about your... Uh, yeah, we'll start with your first centre-back. Um, oh, yeah, we'll go across that. the line. Um, so, um, Winston Bogard. So, uh, a man... <laughs> A man who is a bit of folklore in Chelsea and maybe in Premier League sort of um, history as well, to yep. be fair. So um, I'm sure a lot of listeners may have already heard this story, but for those that haven't, he was the first kind of bastion for deciding to just like pick up his pay packet, basically. So um, we signed him in 2000, summer of 2000. He was actually at the club for four years, making 11 appearances in total. Um, you have to remember this is at a point when Chelsea were like 100, 120 million in debt um, before Roman came in. And he um, he was there on 40 grand a week at this point in 2000. He picked it's up got, this bloke. It's a lot of money at that uh, in 2000. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the quote that's really tied to him is, why would I throw away what is already mine? Like mm. the 15 million that he was kind of entitled to. Because obviously mm. we've tried to get him off our books. We've tried to sort of ship him out at that point. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. one's interested. And then we've done this really weird sp um, cut off our nose to sort of spite our face. And we weren't willing to loan him out and do this sort of 50-50 on the wages or anything. It was a, well, now if you don't want to go, you're going to stay here and rot. Which 
you kind of wanted so yeah yeah because i suppose they might have thought you know the, you, they wanted to force him out but he was at the back end of his career anyway he really didn't seem bothered and it was a strange story because he i think he was signed by um the f- uh, director of football colin hutchinson viali knew nothing about it um yeah. and then after viali left ranieri just said he wants him out but um winston bogard is now 49 years old and he is the assistant manager of ajax reserves so what about your other center half Dom? Cool. So we can move on to um, Papa Digibody. I really hope I've said that right. But um, yeah, and I kind of realised that to make a worst eleven, you have to be someone that was maybe around the first team squad and sort of playing a little bit, so that there's you're known by the fans, for instance. Um, but I couldn't leave this guy out at this point, mm. even though he played. So he played one solitary minute for <laughs> us. Uh, he was um, signed. I, th- I wouldn't say by Jose Mourinho. He was signed for Jose Mourinho, from what I can g- gather, um, for two million. The following day, he was not included in our Champions League squad, um, which is a bad sign, kind of straight away. Um, he made one appearance for us ever, which was in a League Cup game away at Walsall. Um, he came off the bench, um, replaced Falcao though. So mm. if you're going to make a high profile substitute, mm. that's maybe the one to make. Um, <laughs> but it was weird. It's just one of those where no one had really heard of him before. Um, mm. No one knows why he was signed. We didn't really need to cover a centre back at this point. Um, and it just, yeah, it came completely out of the blue. Like no one sort of looks back at his time in league R would ever say that he was of a standard that was ever going to no. cut it and that's just been like cemented by i mean bizarrely we've managed to sell him to sunderland for eight million so mm. i mean we've all seen the documentaries and know the kind of business they've been doing so <laughs> maybe that's not such a shock but um i've heard that since he's joined there he's now been sacked for comprehensively failing <laughs> a fitness test <laughs> Jesus, I mean, what a way to fail, yeah. not just failing, comprehensively failing. But he's now 31 and he plays for Gazir Gaziantep in the Turkish Super League. Uh, oh, so. Anyone that's failed in the Premier ends up in that Turkish Super League. They, they do. There's I'm a lot of ex, ex-Premier League 30s. Uh, many of them have gone there. Um, cool. Let's do your left back next. Sure. So um, one season wonder, Azir Delorno, um, nicknamed The Oven. That's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, what? a bit like Zappa Costa, there was just nothing really good about what came out of this transfer. Um, the one thing I would say is that obviously he came, he came in 2005, so we just won the league and he came for Jose's second season where we did win the league again. He made um, in the high 20s, I think, for league appearances. So clearly it wasn't um, it's kind of shocking. And it was at a time when just nothing was going wrong at the club in terms of transfers and things. We'd signed a few like relatively unknown players that turned into um, really good players. And so no one sort of battered an eyelid when this gay guy came in and just started playing. It seemed like um, good business. Wayne Bridge had broken his leg or his ankle in two places kind of at the yeah. back end of last season. And um, Ashley Cole hadn't quite turned up yet. So we did need a left back. But I think it kind of says it all that by the end of the season, Gallas was our first choice left back. Mm. Um, completely out of his comfort zone, but still doing a better job um, <laughs> than this bloke. And then um, he was he sort of had his moment of fame, really, in a last 16 Champions League game at home to Barcelona, where a 17-year-old unknown Lionel Messi whatever happened to him um, and <laughs> tore him an absolute new one for 90 well i can't say for 90 minutes because he got sent off uh, 
what I can only describe as an assault on him. <laughs> Disgrace. Yeah, he, um, I know it's, his later years, he ended up at um, Levante and at the age of 29, he was still unable to dislodge a, dislodge a 35-year-old Juan Fran as well. Yeah. So in the end, he just knocked, he knocked it on the head at age 31 in 2012. And I have no idea what he's up to now. I did half, well, for five minutes, try to find out what Mr. Del Horno was up to or Senor Del Horno. No, I should say, um, but I could not find a thing. So obviously, as a four-three-two, you've got three central players. So um, your first one of that? Yeah. So, um, so like I've not really got any wingers in this team at all. I just can't really remember any that have really been um, shocking. So I went with three centre mids, um, and I've not done the honourable mentions yet. But there's a couple that are worth sort of bringing up that aren't in here. So um, one, Sebastian Veron. And Danny Drinkwater both don't make the team. Um, Danny Drinkwater probably should be in the team, but um, I'm just loath to even like think of him as a Chelsea player at the moment. Mm. Just 30 million on someone that hasn't really played, has been involved in, was it drink driving as well? And he's like loan spell up at Burnley and things. Yeah. So if we, if we breeze past him, we'll um, go on to... Danny, um, Danny, Danny drink beer. Yep, right. very good. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> uh, we'll on go, good, good, good. We'll go on to uh, Bakayoko. So he does make the team. So yeah. um, along with Zappa Costa was part of this um, transfer window from hell that we've mm. had. So this transfer is something that just makes me kind of really sad about where football is now. So 40 million on Bakayoko, who um, just offered nothing. I hadn't seen anything of him before in his time at Monaco, but like it was exciting. Like, so I don't know if you remember that Monaco team. They like they won the league, yeah. didn't they? They usurped PSG, and they then obviously, as football does, they began to get like torn apart, like picked apart. Um, and it was exciting. Like City picked up Bernardo Silva and uh, Mendy. PSG picked up Mbappe. Yeah. Liverpool picked up Fabinho. And I'm going, oh, who have we got? Which one's going to come to us? <laughs> Bakayoko turns up. And uh, he's actually injured at the start of the season. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't um, sort of manage to make a good impression like early on from the very beginning. Um, and then this all sort of, uh, sort of culminates in the single worst performance from a player that I've ever seen in a Chelsea shirt. And I remember it so clearly. It was Monday night, um, we were playing away at Watford. Uh, they're at Vicarage Road. And... In the first 30 minutes, he can't control a ball. He's got no idea of his position. He gives it away six times. I think six misplaced short passes um, before he gets sent off um, for a reckless tackle. Mm -hmm. And we lose 4-1 or 4-0 or something. I think I went to bed early because it was just that bad. And... um, yeah, the yeah. very single worst performance I've ever seen in the Chelsea it's shirt. Interesting because you know he was quoted as being like a lot of similarities to Yaya Toure, but perhaps what should have been a maybe a red an amber to red flag for Chelsea was that at the end of that last Monaco season he was there. They was he was complaining about his knee because I think he had an ongoing injury, and as as you say, I, he was actually injured when he. Uh, at the start of the season and he said he had to grit his teeth in every match and obviously Chelsea still signed him for £40 million but um, he's obviously back at Monaco on loan at the moment and I think they have an option to re-sign him for €42.5 million which I imagine if you're Chelsea we'll be hoping that will happen. Well, we'd have turned a profit if that happens. Well, yeah, depending on the old conversion I suppose but yeah, around the same. One of your other central midfielders? 
Yeah, so um, I've gone for Slavisa Jakanovic, and I think mm. I've done it because it took me forever to realise it was the same bloke that was managing Watford and Fulham. And yeah. I kept hearing this Jakanovic being spoken about, and I'd never made the connection for um, a long time until eventually, I think it might not have even been until he got sacked from Fulham, and um, ironically, it was Ranieri that replaced him. Yeah. Um, so it was Ranieri that signed him at Chelsea, Ranieri that replaced him as manager at Fulham. Um, but he was another one like that, just coming off the back of like winning a league. So he won La Liga with Deportivo. Mm. Um, and by all accounts, it's been like brilliant that season. And so it was really exciting to get this player in. We were a team that had um, just had a season competing in the Champions League. So we're really look, looking to like be on the up. Um, young talent like Frank Lampard in the centre of the pitch, he was there to um, sort of sit alongside him. And he was just dreadful like he was immobile he couldn't do anything kind of box to box maybe 31's too old to come to the Premier League for the first yeah. time um, that's something I noticed it's quite rare that you actually see that maybe these days uh, as much you're kind of in your 30s coming over definitely but like, he was being kept out the side by like a pretty immobile like Emmanuel Petit as well at this point and, yeah, um, yeah there was no kind of real saving grace to it and as with um I don't know if he retired straight after, but as with like many of the players in this team, they're at the back end of their career when they turn up and yeah. they've almost retired straight from Chelsea or may as well mm. have done. Yeah, yeah. And um, well, he briefly went to play on uh, for Mercia. So he did go kind of back to Spain and retired in 2004. Um, now 51, he manages in Qatar for Al Garafa. <laughs> Final central midfielder. Yeah. Um, so Scott Parker, who is maybe the other name on the on the team sheet that's probably a bit unlucky to kind of be mm. in there. But the reason it is in there for me is that, and I know it's sort of not really his fault, but like um, it was just the changing of, not the changing of times, but it was the first time that Chelsea had been seen to be like stockpiling and wasting talent. Um, so as kind of became a trend with Chelsea over those few years, if someone really turned it on against us, like we'd sign them. And there was a Boxing Day game in 2003 and uh, Charlton beat us 4-2 and he was brilliant, basically. Run rings around us, um, box to box, high energy. Um, and we signed him, but we signed him for 10 million at that point. And it just never really kind of clicked for him. Um, because he was signed to be a backup. It seemed um, a bit ridiculous at the time that mm. he was signed to be backup to McAuley and Lampard, which was like yeah. a, obviously a massive shame for his career. And then I think he was still like quite, um, would have had some kind of future under Ranieri had he stayed, but then Mourinho came in and he was very much relegated to this idea of the squad player that would turn up in like League Cup games. And then sort of the cherry on top of it not going well for him is that he got injured um, after having played like the first few rounds of the League Cup. So missed the League Cup final against Liverpool. Um, only picked up three appearances in a title winning campaign, so didn't get a medal. Just, mm -hmm. I know in interviews he said it like formed part of who he was and has made him a stronger player, but at the same mm -hmm. time he can't have had a good time there. No, no, it's just, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, bad thing after bad thing for Scott. But I suppose, because he, he made a lot of appearances for Charlton when he was pretty young, uh, wasn't he? Um, and yeah. I think, I suppose when you're that young, you sort of think most people will go, look, that, that he's moved for the money there. He's not going to get in over Makaleli or Lampard. But I suppose when you're a young player, you're sort of like, 
well, if I don't give it a go, I'll never know. But for Scott, obviously, there was there was no chance, really, was there? But um, he obviously went on to a decent career, of course. Um, and another Fulham connection, obviously, is is currently the manager of Fulham. Uh, finishing he his loved London there. as well, didn't he? Stayed in mm. London the whole time, yeah. apart from that little stint up at Newcastle. Newcastle, yeah, of course. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's Scott Parker. Um, now we've got three forwards now. Yeah. Honestly, mate, there were so many options. Yeah, there. I know. There were yeah. so many options. Um, there's a little rule that I forgot to mention as we sort of kick this off, which is anyone that won the Champions League gets immunity from all of this. In case some <laughs> of you, are, in case some of you are wondering mm. what names might be in here. Um, yeah. So um, someone like Torres kind of gets a complete pass on that basis. Jose Pacing will picks up a pass on that sort of basis as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, so. Um, and before I go into the three, have you heard the thing about um, the Chelsea squad number nine and how it's cursed and how? Um, yep. Have you so um, after Hasselbank, who was kind of our last successful number nine to this point, um, we've not had another good one since. And the players that have worn that shirt in the meantime are Matai Kesman, Ernan Crespo, oh. Khalid Belarus, Steve Sidwell. Franco <laughs> DeSanto. Yeah, Steve, Steve Sidwell had number nine. Oh, it was ridiculous. Um, Gallas when he wore number 10 at Arsenal. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Franco DeSanto, uh, Fernando Torres, Falcao, and Iguain. And that is a sorry, sorry <laughs> list of. <laughs> is anyone um, nine now? No, is anyone nine? Uh, Tammy Abraham's nine. Oh, now, so okay, it's okay. I feel like I'm okay with tape, uh, Abraham being nine. Yeah. Um, he's put a few away this season, hasn't he? Mm. So, um, uh, right, should we go on to the first one, though? So three names yep. uh, I'll pop up with. Um, in the news today for his article with the BBC, it's Adrian mm. Mutu. Yeah. So um, who's in here for not necessarily being the worst of the strikers that we had in terms of how he performed on the pitch in that um, 0-3-4 season but it's here pretty much purely for how it ended like to be sued your transfer fee by the club for uh, cocaine abuse is pretty damning um, for any striker going and looking to make a good impression anywhere um, maybe you had too good a time with Mark Bosnich I don't know they'd have both <laughs> been there together so um, well yeah maybe they were just yeah, overlapped um, yeah, I was going to say with with him because I remember him starting his career with Chelsea really brightly, didn't he? I think he scored, he scored a few goals in his opening games, didn't he? Yeah, no, he scored a belter against Leicester and he scored two against Spurs. So, um, mm. yeah, like he became a fan favourite really early on. Yeah, yeah, and I I always wondered why he had sort of bursts of pace after the, uh, the second half break, you know, just for sort of five to ten minutes. But um, and what was interesting, <laughs> obviously, you mentioned kind of suing the club. He still owes Chelsea about seventeen million quid or something, and he's just been continuously appealing it for years. And you know that yeah. fifteen years, he is still in a legal dispute with Chelsea over that. I don't think he's paid any of it, from what I can see. I refuse to discuss it in that BBC article. You mentioned Dom um, but you know that 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 sort of says it all um, I think but you know 15 years in dispute but he's I know well, oh, well it sounded like when he came to London he um really like began to live the lifestyle like that was the first time he really began to like think of himself as this sort of superstar um, mm. and he's like unveiling he was wearing these diamond earrings um, he'd only recently split up with his girlfriend, so he came over, bought a flat in West London, bought an yep. Aston Martin, nice. um, got on the got on the good times, and uh, mm. um, that quickly sort of deteriorated, and I suppose. In the back, 
yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. So he he's currently in charge of Romania's under twenty one team, and again, you yeah mentioned that BBC article talking about the top talent in Romania. He didn't want to comment on the legal dispute with Chelsea. I wonder why yeah. that is. But there we go. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, well, I wouldn't want to comment on that either. To uh, no, no, I wouldn't. Um, cool. And then one of your other strikers. So who should we go on to next? Let's go on to maybe a bit forgotten by a lot of people. Um, he was here for one season as well. So Chris Sutton um, mm. had his time in the sun at Stamford Bridge. So he signed in 99 for um, 10 million. Um, I alluded to the 98-99 season earlier where we'd almost just won the, well, we were in a title race. There was still Arsenal and United between us. So we didn't nearly win it. But yeah, um, this was seen as us pushing on. We were going into the Champions League. So we needed um, sort of a roster of like world-class strikers. Chris Sutton was considered to be that uh despite maybe being on that downward curve at blackburn at this point yeah um he picked up one league goal in 28 appearances which and that was in a 5-0 okay. win so god yeah. um stat padding at its worst mm. um and just he yeah just had a really terrible season um um, which again culminated in by January we brought in George Weir in the season. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Georgie Weir pops up and becomes uh, almost the first choice, um, and so it meant that Sutton sparingly played in the Champions League, didn't make the FA Cup final squad that season, um, and was just really out of favour. And mm. it's also partly in my team because I don't really like him as a bloke. So. No, straight in there. He certainly splits opinion uh, with his punditry, doesn't he? Um, but obviously, he went on to play for Celtic, Birmingham, and Aston Villa, and obviously, yeah, yeah. graces us, graces us with his punditry on BT and BBC Five Live. Um, well, have you seen the video of him being slide tackled um, as he's walking around doing a little bit of build up for an SPL game? I don't um, think uh, I may have seen that. I can't. Doesn't ring a bell actually. What? What's that? Do you know what this? This can be the first time you post a little link afterwards on the youtube account i reckon okay people are going people are going to want to see he's walking around he's just talking about the game that's going to be coming or maybe it's after the game i can't remember mm. um but he's just doing he's carrying the mic he's got his clipboard in hand and uh, someone jumps over the hoardings comes out of nowhere and just like plows into it and his feet <laughs> end up well above his head as he hits the deck and obviously he's live on tv so he can't uh Deserve. can't kick off yeah he can't um, can't be able to go <laughs> Um, I must have seen that, but um, that, yeah, that's fantastic. Not not everyone's favourite favourite yeah, pundit, he, are they, Chris? So. He's since admitted how poor he was that season, which I guess he can't really sort of get away from. Mm, um, and to close him off, he um, recently on a actually just this week on a Twitter um, Chelsea World Cup, he came second in the World Cup of most hated Chelsea players. Really, and uh, he lost out to Craig Burley. Oh, right. Fair enough. I suppose they must just hate him just because how disappointing he was, I guess. Um, but there we go. Um, and then your final striker. I was a little surprised to see this man in over some other people. But uh, what, anyway, who is it? Yeah, and why? I'm, I'm going to go with um, Alvaro Morata. And I think it's just from... Um, the word I'm going to use, so obviously he started quite well. And people might remember like a hat-trick away at Stoke and looking like relatively bright. But if you take away Azpilicueta crossing from 25 yards out and Morata heading the ball in, um, he already didn't do a lot apart from that. Yep. And um, 
the word I'm going to use is just dejected. I've never seen a bloke mm. look more dejected on a football pitch um, as I have Morata. So um, in that season, yeah, like I said, he started quite well. And then he had a horror show away at Arsenal when he missed yeah. three one-on-ones. He missed three one-on-ones. And he just never really came back from this. And so I went to three games in quick succession, kind of towards the back end of that season, early next season. And we drew at home to Leicester, West Ham and Wolves. And I've never seen someone more scared for the ball to like come into his feet. He mm-hmm. just didn't want it. He was terrified that he would have to do something. Um, he missed chances. His shoulders were slumped. He didn't work hard. Um, he just didn't enjoy being on the pitch. It didn't look like. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it just meant that as a team, we were like really lacked potency at that point. And you could tell he was just looking for a way to sort of get out of there by this stage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I wonder why why that happened. I suppose it is always a bit of a risk sometimes when you do sign players from, from Spain and, you know, there have been a lot of failed people come over from Spain. Maybe he just kind of joined that list, I guess. But, um, you know, it, it, £60 million as well. I mean, it's a lot. It's more than, I mean, that broke the transfer fee record right yeah we paid big money yeah. for him it was exciting yeah. like he'd come from scoring quite a few from madrid he'd scored for yeah. juventus in a champions league final um we managed to get most of that money back though which is good news mm. i think we got about 54 million of it back or so which is um yeah i couldn't quite believe but i suppose you know the writings on the wall when there's a video on youtube called Murata worst misses and kicks um, of the season. <laughs> there we go, poor old um, Murata. Right, and um, so that's the team. What what a team! A real good mixture of uh, of people there, uh, Dom. And um, how about your manager? Um, was this an easy choice? Have you gone for an assistant as well, or have you gone for um, just just one manager? Now I'm going to come straight in with uh, Vish Bowers. I just thought he had a really, really torrid time. Um, and it was, it was obviously, it was in the season we won the Champions League. Um, but like the start of that season was so poor. Like he contributed to us finishing sixth in the table because uh, when Di Matteo came in, we were sort of well off the pace. Mm. Um, he was seen as this like changing of the guard and like he was a suave uh, man who's come over yeah. from Portugal, hadn't he? Like Mourinho 2.0, all of this yeah. kind of thing. Um and with that, I think he brought this idea that he was a little bit above his station and he could turn Chelsea into something that didn't have um, sort of Terry, Lampard and Drogba at its core. Mm. And like, I'm not saying the changing of the guard wasn't needed at some point, but he thought he could do it all in one go and turn us into this team that was um, really like um, attacking and um, sort of cavalier with like Mata and Daniel Sturridge yeah. in the team. Um, he brought in players like Romeo to try and and play at the base of that midfield. Yeah, and yeah. it just wasn't a happy story. He upset pretty much everyone at the club um, or in terms of the big names who would go on to contribute so heavily to like that Champions League win. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, by the time he left to go off to the Dakar rally, I don't think anyone was too upset. Well, via Tottenham Hotspur as well, which again must uh, be a bit sad, but he was equally pretty poor there as well, wasn't he? Um, and then, yeah, and then this, this kind of strange um, thing that he obviously did the Dakar rally in 2018. He wanted a break from uh, football, didn't he? Uh, which is, yeah, kind of strange. I, I don't know. Oh, didn't he crash his... Didn't he crash? Tell you. I, can't, I can't remember. Couldn't Do you remember? You. Is he no, good? No. Is he good? I don't, I don't good? know. It's a bit bit strange. Um 
Yeah, so I'm just looking at now. He withdrew from the rally after crashing into a sand dune on the fourth stage in Peru, damaging his back. <laughs> Poor old Andre. Well, he's recovered from that little injury, and obviously he's in charge of Marseille now. Um, uh, I'm unsure how he's doing, but back in football in France. Um, right, Dom. Well, thank you so much for joining. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I certainly did. Great, great worst 11. Some good memories. Uh, another Millwall story. I'm sure the listeners are enjoying these these uh, throwbacks to, to the great days uh, at Millwall, especially when Palace lost 3-0. That was a fantastic day. Um, but thanks all for joining us as well, listeners. Um, do follow us on Twitter. We are at YourselfPod. Uh, you can get in touch with us there. Any football-related stories are also welcome. Feel free to email callyourselfafanpodcast at gmail.com. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast as well. Um, all of our past three shows are found there as well, so please do check them out. Great conversations with Arsenal, Crystal Palace, and, of course, Wolves slash Kidderminster. Uh, next week, in line with the Championship's return, I'll be chatting to my friend Ben Coleman uh, on Nottingham Forest. So that will be uh, a good little show. I know Ben's looking forward to coming on. So thanks for joining me, Don. No worries, mate. Cheers for having me. A lot of Jose chat. Loved it. There was. I'm sure you did. And uh, take care. And I will see you next week, listeners. Farewell. Well.